Good morning. This is Doc Scott. Um, 90 days, my 90 day devotional, no more cycles. This is day 28 out of 90. So we have a few more to go. Um, one of the things that I had said, I've said a few times along the way was that essentially, um, you don't jump into doing something about a topic like shame without having to, um, have it impact you. In other words, I knew, and that was one of the reasons I hesitated. Um, I hesitated because, um, and doing and starting this because I knew that essentially if I dove into a topic that there's no way that you can actually dive into it without actually experiencing it's kind of like a dynamic of the kingdom you know and often we are the message you know it we are everything that Jesus has kind of formed in us really is our message. And so we become that message. And so he weaves it into us and um, it becomes something that we can actually um, see the fruit of and we in other people's lives in our own. And I'm a verbal processor. <laughs> and that means that a lot of times I have to say things out loud before I get them myself. And that's part of my process. But you know, I'll give you an example of um, walking into this one. <laughs> so I had a really glorious day yesterday. It was an incredible day. Um, all kinds of things that God's up to. It's just like on multiple levels, God's doing stuff. You know, we've got all kind of things happening where people that are coming to town, like Todd Smith is going to be coming to town from the Dawsonville Revival. You know, we've had guests in my Bible Lit class. We've had opportunities to pray for people. And do I mean, it's just been like crazy intensive in terms of the spiritual temperature. So we cry out for awakening and awakening and awakening. And then it starts to happen. And we're like, oh, there we have it. So in the middle of all this, this is how I think you guys can relate to this. I get an email, you know, from a, a perspective um it's basically from a university that I was that I was looking at, and essentially it was like, you know, we've dismissed you, or you know, that kind of a dismissive thing. And I just went into this total pit of despair. You know, I went into this absolute um, place where I revisited every experience that I've had that's been negative, and kind of with the thought that, you know, um, oh, here's how the little whining part comes out. Um, I could pray for everybody else's breakthrough, but my breakthrough is complicated. In other words, God could do it for everybody else, but he can't do it for me. And so, you know, that, that is my own shame speaking. You know, it's usually one of those things that we really are good at doing some of these things for other people. We could pray into their stuff and see them experience great freedom and, you know, pro prophesy to them, you know, all of that. And yet, when it comes to ourselves, it's like there are our places. I think I've told this story before with my wife who was healed of stage three um, breast cancer in those, that pool of water up there in Dawsonville. And essentially, um, she was the poster child for never getting healed. I mean, 
every time we got into a prayer line, every time somebody would go to pray, you know, nothing would ever, like, she could feel the presence of God. She could, you know, all these things. And yet not feel like it was going to happen for her. And then one day, out of the blue, but not out of the blue, contrived with the Holy Spirit, wove it into her life, you know, the miracle that was written in the book of life before she was ever born, as she continued to hope. In other words, I watched my wife continue to hope and never back away from it, but at the same time deal with the constant disappointment. And so there she does, she gets healed. And so yesterday I had a young man in here that I met on Facebook. Like what a crazy thing, meeting somebody on Facebook. <coughs> my wife is so much better at this than I am. The whole Facebook friend thing. But this was a guy that I met in Facebook who saw a post that I made about Dawsonville and he went there. And so we started talking and I said, well, you need to come tell my, my Bible class about what happened to you. And he basically shared, you know, because one of the questions you get when you're there is like, okay, why are you in the water today? <clears throat> and it wasn't a question I was prepared for when we were there first time. But essentially, his answer like blew me away. It was, I'm here to get rid of my anger, my resentment that I've had, and my shame and my guilt. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's every prodigal on the planet right there. But here's what happened to him. And this is why I keep going over this thing about encounter. You know, a lot of us have had things that we have dealt with for a long time, whether it's overeating, it's the thing we fall into, whether it's an attitude here or a pattern of thinking like I did the whole shame, self-contempt thing because I got a bad email or not even a bad email. I just saw it as bad because shame becomes the lens that we look at everything. It wasn't necessarily a disconfirming email or anything bad from this university. It was just my eyes and through the grid of my own shame, which was linked to these other past places of experiencing shame. And that's kind of how that works. You know, we don't do emotional life in a, in a, in a bubble. We don't do it isolated from things. And so shame is usually connected to experiences in life. And so we walk into something right here and suddenly that thing gets tapped, but the thing that gets tapped isn't like just about that. One of the things I've said before, I you know, is that when I see an emotion in me that is larger than what the situation calls for, that just seems like it's a bit over the top, like how do you go from having a glorious day in Jesus, God's doing crazy miraculous stuff, and then suddenly one email can send me into the bottom of the pit where I'm like, oh, I made a mistake. I should have never gotten this doctoral program. I don't, I can't believe, you know, da, 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 da. I send my wife this text this long with my big long line. And saying that just to say, that's what it, that's what shame does is it taps into these other things. So when the emotion is larger, than what I'm experiencing, than what it seems like it should be, it's a good indicator. It's like a, you know, on the, a dot on the dashboard that says you might want to take a look at that. And so, as I heard this young man share his story yesterday that had gone to Dawsonville, here's what he said. He said, it's very common, we've all been saying this, that there was fire in the water. And he knew from the minute he put his toe in the water 
that he could feel the presence. He, he kept saying there was something holy. And as he was actually sharing this story before the class, the Holy Spirit just fell in this room and thickened. And I was like, whoa, okay, Lord, this guy's got fire on him. Wow. But he said, essentially, you're talking about someone who has had longstanding issues with guilt and shame, acknowledging that anger and resentment have been a big deal. And when he got into the water, he said it was literally like Jesus infused every part of my being. You know, when I talk about being presence-oriented creatures created for his presence, that's what I'm talking about. And literally, as he felt the Holy Spirit, the water and the fire just go through his body, all of that melted. And when he was sharing here, he kept getting, he got choked up a few times just even talking about it because here's what he experienced. He experienced being in the anointing and the fire of God and in the presence. And in that context, the thing that he asked for, he said, everything I asked Jesus for, he actually did it. And so that's what I mean when I talk about encounter. And I'll tell you a place where we get stuck. I was kind of spinning all, all that, you know, and oftentimes when we have long-term struggles, right, we shame, this is what the Holy Spirit said yesterday, shame takes you backward. Shame always takes you backward. And what the Lord spoke to me was, as long as we're advancing, we're doing good. And it is in our advancing and our willingness to move forward, even in the middle of what we perceive to be, you know, our failure, I made a mistake, I've sinned, I, whatever it is, moving forward is the only way that we actually rise again. And, the, and you know, righteous man falls, right? But he keeps on doing what? He keeps getting up. If I know that shame is the big separator, right? And this happens to all of us in the course of a day. How many times in the course of one day do you experience yourself beginning to backpedal and suddenly feel fall into a retreat? Why? And then that place, suddenly you feel like, where's God, you know, et cetera, because shame says there's something wrong with me. I must be defective. And that's one of the things that that boy yesterday communicated loud and clear was that, you know, his sense of defectiveness was deep. But there is something about the keep getting up. Is, is there a reason? Is there a way out? You know, you know, why do I struggle with certain things over a period of time? I don't know the answer to that, but here's what I do know. In Romans 6, I'm going to read one little spot. He said, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? We act according to what we believe. We do and, are, and respond emotionally according to what we believe. If my identity is that of shame, I'm defective, something's wrong with me, I'm not enough, then I will see through that lens everything that happens and I will interpret it through that lens, which is why we want Jesus to really dismantle this thing. I don't want to see through that lens because here's what I do believe, that the greater issue, and I, and I said this yesterday, if I were to paraphrase Cain and Abel, what God said to Abel, or to Cain, 
would be this. Kane, if you don't do something with that shame and the rage that you feel that's connected to your own shame, you will foist that on another in the form of murder and violence. In other words, it's the shame that Cain experienced and not getting it right or, and feeling like he wasn't enough that basically propel the violence. It, it, they go hand in hand. We either go outward with it to get it off of us or we go inward as self-contempt. For some of us, self-contempt is easier. That's kind of been my preference. Um, so it says, we were co-crucified with him. This is Romans 6. Um, we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of life. We also know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death in its power. For by his sacrifice, sin's power, he died to sin's power once and for all, but now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure and union with Jesus. Okay, union is the key. Why do I have something that hangs around? I don't know, but here's what I do know. I know that it's probably connected to what I believe about myself. I know that it's probably connected to shame, right? Because it perpetuates it. And I know that there's some place in me that still has not apprehended and the, the identity that I really have. That, and that somewhere in me, I may still have, because of shame, a need to punish myself. You know, Leanne Payne said that there are three barriers to wholeness, and they were failure to forgive oneself, failure to forgive others, and failure to forgive and failure to accept oneself. Those are all tied together. When we do the thing where we let shame take me all the way down into the pit of the hell of myself, that's when we do that one, the only thing that changes that equation is what I do with it. It's not about whether you fell into the mud puddle today. It's a matter of what you do when you do. And if you are advancing and moving towards Jesus and continuing to move, there's a lot of things that I like to relegate to the category of I'm going to knock on that door. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep trying to apprehend Jesus. I'm going to avail myself to every opportunity to encounter his presence. Because what I also know is true is that as a presence-oriented creature, in his presence, we become all things. Just like the young man going to the baptismal pool in Dawsonville, Georgia, he had things in his heart that could not move. It's the same thing we've seen in other revivals. People go to Toronto, they hate each other, they want to get divorced, you know, you know murderous thoughts toward their spouse. They come under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? 
And then they get up off the floor and this brick has been moved out of their chest. We keep moving forward. We always advance. So, Scott, are you saying that if I just did this over here, I just ate that 900 bonbons, you know, that I didn't want to eat and I just indulged, that I can go from that to worship? Yes. In fact, if you actually go to worship, the very reward center in your brain that felt rewarded and got the little dopamine spritz when you ate the bonbon into oblivion, that's not a judgment. I think it's kind of funny because it's not my thing as much. But I, but I go over here and I worship the very same part of our brain. Here's one of the things in, in the research that I was the most interested in when I did my research on you know pornography and, and how it impacts us psychologically, physically, and spiritually, was this. The brain responds to prayer and worship in the same way that it does with addiction. So the same buzz, the same dopamine, the same thing that happens in my brain when I'm fueling an addiction and trying to get that to happen in terms of the reward, right, is also fueled when we pray and when we worship. I guarantee you that if I were looking at this over here, which is congruent with an identity that I'm not living in anymore, that I'm dead to, and I were actually to worship in that place. I turn the music on loud in the car and I sing like who cares who hears me and I enter into his presence. It's the entering into the presence of God that changes everything. And so do I know the the formula for not having a struggle ongoing? No, I don't know the, the exact answer to that, but I do know this, and that is worship like you just don't care. Worship. Okay, here's a good example. All right, the other day, Dayon, you would appreciate this. Um, I said my wife forbids me from dancing. Now, she doesn't forbid me from dancing, but she knows that I... Um, don't do well chewing gum and walking, like not my forte, right? That I'm uncoordinated, that I can knock something off the wall back here without even touching it, okay? So her fear for me when I dance is that I will, in my grace, take out a whole row of people, and I probably would. And at the end of Sunday morning after church, I had a young lady come up to me. I'm going to tie it together and then pray for everybody. We're going to pray together. She said, I just feel like the Lord wants to tell you one thing. She said, 100. I thought, okay. I said, well, let me ponder that because I'm sure the Holy Spirit kind of prompted you and I need to kind of figure out what that means. And I was telling my wife last night, she said, the 100 is what you got on the test when you danced. And I was like, you mean like when I went to school and I danced down the aisle on Sunday and worshiped? She said, yes, that's where you got your 100. Because that 100, here's what I did. I saw something that I believe God was asking me to do and kind of putting in my heart. Remember my new policy is 
I don't second guess things that are in me. I am in union with Jesus. If it's in me to do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to worry about over evaluating whether it's Jesus or not, because I'm one with him, right? So I saw a picture of me dancing up and down back here to that song, um, Stand in Your Love. And so I did it. I gave myself a lot of room. You know, I did hit a chair once, but um, I danced and worshiped all the way down the aisles. And I, the Lord said to me later, you have no idea what you just released in the room. So what are you talking about? When you danced and worshiped, you loosed heaven in that room. And I know that that's true. Because everyone that comes in says, the atmosphere is just so different in here. Of course, it's Jesus. So what did I do? I'm saying when you get into that place, and I'm speaking to me, when you are tempted to back away from God because you fell into the puddle again, I'm saying shame makes you go backwards. And if you want to go that way, you can. You can go all the way down the spiral. And the enemy is always coming to accuse. What I said earlier, are you saying, Scott, that if I do this over here, I fall in the mud, I could go straight to worship? Yes. But what do you hear in your head when you do that, hypocrite? Can't believe you. Look at you. Any voice that condemns because Jesus paid not only for the sin, but for our awareness and consciousness of sin too. If you hear a voice that says, you're a hypocrite because you just did this and here you are worshiping. Um, that's the devil. And the worship is actually my way out. It's my reconnection. If we can make one commitment, I guarantee you we see shame busted up like crazy. One commitment. Every time you want to retreat, go forward. Every time that you want to retreat because you just did the thing that you hate, Go forward and worship yourself into oblivion in Jesus and dance the aisles as hard as you can. Because not only does the brain science say that the same thing that's released when my addiction gets released in prayer and worship, I just think it's kind of fun that the brain affirms what God does. I just think it's kind of fun that there's actually science that says my brain is responds to the reward and of dancing and worship and his presence. If we could do one thing is catapult ourselves moving forward. The righteous man falls, I don't know how many times, but he keeps getting up. Move towards Jesus, not backward into shame. Let's make a commitment. I'm going to make it too. That I'm going to choose worship over retreat. And that I'm going to choose dancing my way into a new place in worship. And as opposed to letting shame take me down to the place of defeat. Let's try that. See you guys tomorrow at 7. Bless you guys.